This is Cole. Learn how to tell stories and watch it. My God. <laughs> You're so vicious, so hard. And this is Ron. Yes. I hate your guts. Oh, that's a lie. That's a lie right there. Oh, desperation is a stinky cologne. We are the creative team. Oh, my God. I quit. Well, it's the big hoe. Did you really just book that? <laughs> Michael Jordan and The Undertaker. Uh, in your face. One of them has 30 years, and the other one is just Michael Jordan. Woo! Welcome back to another exciting episode of... The Creative Team! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another exciting episode of... The Creative Team! I am your host, Cole Dawson, and with me, as always, my hashtag team partner, Ron Kilborn. Ronald, how the heck are you today, bud? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, Cole. Heard any great stories lately? (laughs) Well, uh, last week we were raving about how amazing freaking All In was, and there were reports coming out that, you know, there was a little altercation and we kind of chuckled about it. Well, Tony Khan finally found his nutsack and uh, sacked up and fired somebody. Did he, though? (laughs) Yeah. Did he? Yes, he did fire somebody, but did he really find his sack? Did you hear what the man said on Collision yesterday? I did not. Oh, boy. Uh, Tony Khan said that he fired CM Punk for cause, and I'm paraphrasing, but the man said he was scared for his life backstage. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. There were reports that he did have words with Tony and kind of came at him uh, in an aggressive manner. So, uh, that, that I mean, the problem is the reports are so ridiculous. Like, there was a report that CM Punk tried to fight Miro after this, right? That's what got reported by these obviously j- uh, agenda-having journalists, in quotation marks. <laughs> um, and then Sean Ross Sapp, the guy who's actually reported all this shit like accurately and, and truthfully and doesn't have a side, said, yeah, Miro and Punk were at the trainer table and were like, are we going to fight now? Ha, 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 and laughed about it and hugged and like, okay. That got reported as CM Punk tried to fight him. So uh, the reports are ranging from CM Punk was standing there minding his own business, and then Jack Perry said, see, real glass, live on television, in the in the undercard like pre-show match where he had to do a glass spot for no fucking reason other than to massage his own fucking fragile ego. And then he goes back and confronts Pump and then does the little shoulder gimmick as he walked by him. And then he, you know, there was a shoving match and, um, you know, Punk grabbed him in like a headlock to just to calm things down so that no punches were thrown. That was one report. The one I probably believe based on the other shitty, terrible, just bold plate, bold face lie reports. Um, the other one was that Punk met him right at the, at as soon as he walked through the curtain, Punk was there and got in his face nose to nose and then, you know, choked him and da 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 da. So the truth lies somewhere in between, I'm sure. Uh, tensions were high. Like, what I think this really comes down to is that Punk has a problem with about, I don't know, 10 to 15 people in the locker room and he's fighting everybody because no one, the, you know, the other side won't act professionally and just go along and punk you know frankly is acting unprofessionally like period you shouldn't be getting into fights you shouldn't be yelling and screaming at people you shouldn't be acting like you're the one in charge of the fucking show like 
It's a bit unprofessional, but Tony has allowed all of this to happen. You know, like Collision was basically for Punk to appease him to keep everyone separate. And then he keeps trying to bring these assholes over that don't get along with Punk. Like, I think Tony is to blame for all of this. Like, if nothing else, uh, the EVPs should have lost their titles and been stripped of any power. Um, but, you know, he doubled down and signed them all to long-term contracts and then has had everyone cohabitating and just didn't make a point of making sure this shit didn't happen. And so, I don't know. It's a mess. But, yeah, I uh, get the decision for eliminating one problem versus if you keep that problem, about seven of, uh, seven of your guys are going to walk. I get that. But yeah. it's well, just... But plus, Moxley and Jericho are on the buck side. And oh yeah, been pretty open in in public about this, you know, Punk being a dick. So yeah, I don't no, know. there's it's there's plenty bad. of blame to pass around. Yes, yeah. Punk should have just like been the bigger man, just smile and nodded. These kids today have his little island show of collision and just collect the paycheck. But the dude is so passionate, and you know, does not take shit from anybody anymore. That uh, he, uh, you know. He made a decision, and it and it cost him. But you know the decision that Tony Khan has now made. What is that going to cost the company? Like you know, dollars and cents wise, not really much because the guy has unlimited cash flow, and he can lose as much money as he wants, and it won't hurt him. But I'm talking about like you made you made this whole of the show just to have Punk on it and be like the face of it. Now you're gonna have this collision on Saturday with no Punk. You're gonna have a dynamite on Wednesday with no Punk. It is. Like the big draw that got you like the extra like quarter million viewers is gone now, and I don't know if you've seen the video floating around on the internet already, but Tony Khan usually opens the show b before the cameras roll and you know introduces the crowd, says hi to them, is grateful, like the real babyface owner thing, and they, the crowd just gave him the old Dominic Mysterio treatment, just would not let him speak. And this is Chicago, too, so go figure. Well, yeah, the, of course. The, the balls for him to walk out there after making this decision is is one thing. But the dude just sat there. He was almost like a snarky heel. Like, he he sat there and, like, blatantly waited for them to, like, you know, uh, die down. It was almost like he was embellishing it or basking in it a little bit. Yeah. But it looked uncomfortable, and I, I don't know. I, I This might be – we might be heading for Coffin on Roller Skates uh, – time period you know as tony shivani <laughs> would say um i'm not very excited for the future like i remember when the all in the all out scrum, uh, uh media scrum happened i was so deflated i was like man we were waiting for punk to come back for seven years and it's just completely squandered this felt like the second chance that was going to correct all that and now it just feels like now it's completely done. There is no possibility of Punk versus Omega. There is no possibility of like deciding who the real world's, world's champion is. So, you know, it's either WWE or bust at this point for Punk. I, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what Punk does. I, I think um, this would be a good opportunity for him if he's really serious about the business and he loves the business. Now's the time to go you know, hit PWG, hit Game Changer, do do whatever, hit some of the indies. Um, if you can go to Japan, go to Japan. It's a it's a good time of year to set up for something at Wrestle Kingdom if if you're punk. Um, but I, I think obviously everyone's quick jump to is wow, WrestleMania 40 is gonna be fucking amazing. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know you sent me that in a text yesterday, so I want to give you credit. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the possibilities are great. Um, I, I wonder how much of Punk being asked to leave a couple months ago when he was backstage at Raw was just Vince McMahon not wanting a non-contracted person there causing an issue. Uh, how much of it was them just wanting to make sure they didn't get accused of tampering uh, with a contract wrestler and how much of it was the wrestlers got their vaginas hurt and cried to triple H and were like, we don't want him here. He's a prick. You know, it's cause like, I, I don't think Seth Rollins is working when he's been burying punk in the media. I think part of that is that, you know, he's friends with the bucks as well in real life, him and Kevin Owens and those guys. So I'm sure they have a side that they're on in the punk debate. So, um, you know, when, when three of your top guys, at one company don't want anything to do with the new guy you know with punk coming in uh that could be interesting i i'd be interested to know where cody stands on this whole thing um because you know he still gave uh made sure that that kenny omega and the elite were featured in his documentary and and, and gave them nothing but love and respect didn't uh throw anyone under the bus or bury anyone so it could be interesting if if everybody on the one side all the top guys are not interested in working with Punk and don't want him to be there, um, then that could be interesting. And and frankly, maybe we are looking at an Ultimate Warrior situation, you know, where Punk just is his own worst enemy and is never going to go along and people just aren't going to be able to get along with him. And, and even if he does go to WWE now, it's going to be short-lived and he'll be gone, you know, in a year there. So I don't know. Yeah, he would need to be a part-timer in order for him to go out there, do some business, and leave before he causes any trouble, is what I'm thinking. I think there's just too much money on the table uh, for WrestleMania moments. And uh, Seth Rollins, you know, even though he had that little rant about Punk, you know, he had rants about Cody while he was over yonder. And he still did business, so much so that he put him over three times in a row. Now, I'm sure there's more drama between Philip Brooks and Seth Rollins, but, uh, you know... I dare I say that that little diatribe on the WWE 2K23 uh, media scrum, I would go on a go out on a limb that and say that Seth Rollins is a genius and just kind of puts out feelers for potential yeah. down the road WrestleMania yeah, moments. Yeah, that could be because that was in that questionable time where we didn't know where Punk was kind of in limbo. We didn't mm -hmm. know if he was going to get released, so that could be too. But uh, it, I mean, it felt it felt like he broke character for a moment <laughs> like he stayed in character and maybe put some extras on it but i it felt in the moment pretty genuine and uh which is you know coming from seth rollins and me saying that uh it feels like it had to be real selling <laughs> tickets brother selling tickets yeah, brother <laughs> yeah, no, and, and it would be smart if that's it it's seth rollins versus punk for the title at mania that'd be great well seth rollins versus punk just in general yeah punk and yeah. roman uh shoot you know even if they go rock roman finally for 40 who knows fuck like uh that that's the there's a reason why the tickets are almost sold out just on the existence of the tickets being available is that Re wrestlemania is a marquee destination place and we're celebrating four decades of it so they gotta come out swinging and another thing that i wanted to touch on on the punk firing is that you know there are rumors going around about mr adam copeland you know kind of holding uh his uh, career decisions close to the chest. You know, if I was Tony Khan, the only way that I would very much quickly and efficiently fire CM Punk and make that a decision that I felt comfortable with is if I knew I had Adam in my back pocket coming over eventually. 
Yeah, that's true. That would be that, and that would be interesting because I think that we'd be uh, stuck with Edge being not Edge for the first time since we've known him in our existence. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Well, see, the funny thing is, uh, when all those rumors about Edge hit the uh, <laughs> the airwaves, Edge went to his own social media and said, "Hey guys, uh, I didn't ask WWE for a ridiculous contract." My my offer sitting in my inbox. I'm just trying to figure out what I'm gonna do next. This is this reporting is complete bullshit. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if Edge would have done that. Um, other than maybe he's trying to you know keep his negotiation place strong, you know, and see if he can. I feel like he's going with whoever will pay him the most money. I don't think Edge has this like oh I want to go do AEW bucket list thing. Unless he really wants to have a match with the Young Bucks and FTR. Well, I know he's been on record multiple times on his podcast when that was a thing. When when yeah. wrestling was out of reach for Mr. Copeland, he meant he he had he always had like a top five or top ten list of people he wanted to wrestle, and you know a couple of them that were in the the Fed when he got there had since been removed from the roster. So you know if he is really willing to commit to this list that he's had for years before he um, miraculously came back to the wrestling world. You know, he still, according to him, has a dream match with Aleister Black and Kenny Omega, as well as him and Christian versus the Bucks, which, personally, I've sat around in many of in-and-outs with the Young Bucks saying that they would one day wrestle everybody in the TLC match, which we all laughed at because it was just yeah. ridiculous. And they've already, gone, they've already done two out of three. So... Yeah. This is the last. This is the last thing of their like crazy pipe dream while eating a double double. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, speaking of crazy pipe dreams. Yeah. Speaking today, of pipes. Yeah. But today we're discussing someone who's very familiar with pipes and uh, <laughs> talking about Jake the Snake Roberts winning the WWF Championship. Now he had a couple of runs in the WWF. Um, but never won any title. And uh, I, during my recap here, uh, there's some cool rumors about when he was supposed to win a title or two. So uh, we'll get into that. Uh, are you excited to be discussing Jake Roberts today? I'm very much excited. I, uh, I'm i a fan of Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, I love his promo abilities. I love that you know he was not a body guy, but he was a believable threat to anyone who was. Right. Uh, I, you know, you kind of uh, tap danced around the rumor, and uh, if it is the one I'm thinking of too, is the fact that he didn't get a title picture because he was overshadowing Hogan because of how awesome his finisher was at the time. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more detailed because I think it's one of the best stories ever that I've ever heard. But for me, Jake the Snake Roberts is a master psychologist. Uh, he's someone that you know, even in the '80s or like portions of the new generation era anytime he was on television i believed and uh and he was such a good he was so good at making you believe when you hear stories years later about how he was actually afraid of snakes just kind of speaks to his level of commitment to the character and to the world of wrestling yeah it's crazy but that is that that we're going to discuss that rumor with hogan but there's another one uh that really is historically significant that we're going to get into. So are you ready for the recap of Jake the Snake Roberts' WWE career? I am so ready. All right. March 8th, 1986 was the debut of one Jake the Snake Roberts. 
Uh, and, and it's great listening to Jake tell stories about this. You know, he, he was doing a little bit of a karate gi gimmick and doing all this. And Vince convinced him to wear boots. Jake didn't want to wear boots because he didn't like lacing them up. And then Vince told him how much money he was going to be making. And he said, motherfucker, I'll spend 30 minutes lacing up boots. And so he comes in with the, the cool gear with the snakes on it and the snakeskin boots. And his first major feud was with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. See, this is really cool because a lot of Jake's feuds have really significantly memorable moments. And this kicks it off right here. Uh, this was funny, though, because um, Wikipedia has conflicting information with the general knowledge. It felt no. like wrote a little <laughs> bit of Jake's bio on uh, Wikipedia has a bone to pick with Jake. But anyway... Uh, according to Wikipedia, Jake de Jake demanded that they do the, the DDT on the ground, and Steamer was like, no, it's not safe. But in reality, we both know that Steamer was the one <laughs> who was like, yeah, I can take that. And Jake was like, no, you fucking can't. And so DDT on the concrete floor, and Ricky Steamboat goes to sleep. <laughs> and then Jake shows an impressive feat of strength, lifting this man dead weight, literally, up to the ring and throwing him in. For the one, two, three. He was uh, literally Dragon Steamboat. Yes. And, and, and <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I wasn't ready for that pun. <laughs> <coughs> oh, that one got all over me right there. So, uh, you know, it, it became clear very, very early on that Jake was a masterful speaker on the mic. So they debuted the Snake Pit in late 86. He's there for six months. And he's now replacing Piper's pit with the snake pit. Um, and then in, in late 96, or 96, 86, <laughs> Jesus, we're old. In 86, he begins a feud with Savage for the Intercontinental title. And this was kind of quickly stopped because Savage had already turned babyface as the Intercontinental champion. And they are they, the fans were getting behind Savage anyway. And they were turning him, and then they did the turn at WrestleMania 3 the fans started to cheer Jake. And so they pulled the plug on this pretty quickly. Um, he beat Savage by count out, but didn't get the win. And that moved him on to, to Hogan. And he DDT'd Hogan during the snake pick segment on the stage. And the fans like full pop. This wasn't a, a halfway pop. Like they cheered the DDT on Hogan. So this was completely scrapped. Jake and Hogan never even rubbed up against each other after that. They were never seen in the same spot while Jake was a heel. And uh, it, you know, derailed his career a little bit. Um, but they, the, Ricky Steamboat, of course, won the belt at WrestleMania 3. And then pretty quickly, Honky Talk Man took the belt off of Ricky Steamboat. And then Honky hit Jake with the guitar, injuring him. The plan, supposedly, was for the Honky Tonkman to be a transitional champion to get the Intercontinental belt on a baby-faced Jake. But due to the injury from the guitar shot, Jake had to be off TV for a while. So they scrapped the plans, and the Honky Tonk Man would go on to be the longest reigning Intercontinental champion in history <laughs> instead of losing the belt you know, quickly to Jake. And uh, so that was, an, that was an interesting little tidbit that I hadn't necessarily heard before, but it's a juicy rumor 
and it's fantastic. What do you think about Jake the Snake Roberts uh, being the Intercontinental Champion, Ron? Uh, it would have been a definite. It would definitely have been a great alternative than what we got. You know, he got hit with the guitar, and then he goes on record and blames Honky Tonkman for uh, his, his uh, drug problems, his yeah. spiraling <laughs> from uh, yeah. then on, then all the way up until uh, you know he starts doing yoga. So that's all Honky Tonk Man's fault. But, uh, you know, I think that would have been a great alternative for, you know, the the kind of fall through on the, the Hogan uh, feud. You know, he could have got the secondary title and we could have got the slow build of the next big baby face. Who knows? Who knows what we could have got? I think, you know, dare I say, if that creative would have been followed through and done well, WrestleMania, you know, that, that next WrestleMania could have been Jake's time. Yeah, by by WrestleMania five or six, it, it could have been Jake and Hogan at WrestleMania six, you know, um, but it was not to be. Jake was out for for some months with the injury, uh, and he returned. Didn't have surgery yet, but he returned to feud with Ravishing Rick Rude, involving Jake the Snake Roberts' wife. And the reason she was on the road with him was to help him deal with the pain and the injury and everything. Drug mule. But it was during this feud where we got one of the greatest stories of all the times. Uh, we're just going to tell the guys that if you don't want to hear this, you don't want to hear a gross story, then just, you know, fast forward for the next like 30 seconds. But uh, while they were feuding there, Rick Rude was doing this gimmick where he would go out and pick one of the hottest girls in the crowd, you know, and it was always a plant. Uh, and he would kiss her live on camera. So Jake one night convinced this girl who he had been having a relationship with. And, uh, you know, he, that was his, his girlfriend in that town. Uh, he convinced her before their match to uh, fillet him. So to give him the, the, the honors. And when he finished, told her to just store that up in her mouth and wait for Rick Rude to come out and do the kiss spot. And upon doing the kiss spot, she deposited, <laughs> uh, the, the the finishings into Rick Rude's mouth on national television. So that's fun. <laughs> yeah, you talk about you talk about long term storytelling. That's uh <laughs> that's really that's really holding on to something and waiting for waiting for the blow off if I if if <laughs> if I'm if I'm being accurate in my wording. Yeah. So, so this is a wonderful feud that Jake ended up coming out on top of because you have to. <laughs> oh, he ended up coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and then that led to a feud with Andre the Giant uh, where they told the story that Andre was deathly terrified of snakes, uh, so much so that they did an angle where Andre passed out from fear uh, and claimed he had some kind of heart issue due to the panic in, of, of the snake being there. And this led to a match at WrestleMania 5 where Jake actually took a victory over Andre the Giant. And this was before they had transitioned Andre just to being a full-on like full -on jobber for the Ultimate Warrior. So um, Andre was still very protected. He had just had the loss to Hogan. And uh, then that was it. They had a tie, He had a tag title run with uh, Haku, which was really great. Um, but yeah, Jake the Snake Roberts beating Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 5. So it feels like they're still really high on Jake. They're protecting him. They're keeping him involved. Um, and that led to a feud with Ted DiBiase where they revisited the idea of him winning a belt <laughs> because we had the million-dollar title at this point. Jake steals the million-dollar belt from, from Ted, and 
throws it in the bag with Damien and says, sure, go ahead, Virgil. Go ahead, Ted. Go grab the belt. Go right ahead. And uh, that led to a match uh, at WrestleMania 6 because after Andre, Jake did end up having to have surgery. I should throw that little tidbit in there. So he was off for a while. So WrestleMania 5, his next big match is WrestleMania 6 against Ted DiBiase um, where Ted finally does regain the belt because of a countout um, because this is still back when they were doing that kind of shit. Countouts, disqualifications, you know, no no real winners, no real losers to try to keep the mid-card guys you know, the, the next level guys strong, you know, guys weren't losing every week. Um, the problem is after WrestleMania six, the next big feud wasn't until Rick Martel. But again, this was such a memorable feud where Rick Martel blinded Jake, the snake Roberts with the arrogance spray bottle. And that led to the all time famous blindfold match, which still to this day is a hotly debated subject. I know we've talked about it on the pod before, but how did you feel about the blindfold match at WrestleMania 7? I couldn't see it. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. The psychology, the easy psychology of a blindfold match, uh, it was definitely utilized by Jake Roberts. You know, just the, just the pointing and uh, uh, getting the guidance from the crowd to tell you if you're going in the right spot at, to your opponent. Uh, I, You know, it's such an easy story and an easy thread to pull throughout the match in order to get the crowd invested in what you're doing and you know it just speaks to jake's credit as a master psychologist in the ring and so, yeah i love the match too i think it's great i i think it's wrestling at its finest where the storytelling is more important than the action in the ring because if you watch the match and you listen to the crowd the crowd is fully invested in it they're trying to help jake get his revenge on Rick Martel, and it's brilliantly done. Um, obviously, it's not a classic, you know, catch-as-catch-can style wrestling match. It's a gimmick match. Um, but I say watch it and let us know what you think. Uh, anyway, on to the next feud. Now, this is my first indelible memory in wrestling history. This is before I was watching on a weekly basis. This viewing of this happened by accident. This is while while my parents were still trying to be like, no, you don't need to be watching this crap kind of thing. Um, but my cousin, my cousins were staying here and my cousins were wrestling fans and they were watching wrestling this weekend. And of course, since my parents are trying to keep me out of the room, I'm doing everything I can to go sneak and see why the fuck they want me out of this room. And I witness Earthquake smashing Damien the Snake in the bag and uh, the follow-up was the next week they made uh, snake burgers. <laughs> and it's just Earthquake eating snake hamburgers on national television. Uh, and then shortly after that, Jake turns heel. Uh, he does the snake pit with the Ultimate Warrior. And turns out uh, he was working with The Undertaker the whole time. And they set it up. And they start that feud. They turn Jake on Warrior. Um, of course, this is after Jake had to go and ask permission uh, and all these things to get Warriors permission to work with him. So again, here he is about to make all the big money being in the top feud and the Ultimate Warrior promptly gets fucking fired. <laughs> uh, so Jake has to settle for a consolation prize, which again involves Macho Man Randy Savage, who was retired at this point. Uh, from in-ring action, uh, but this is maybe the 
single greatest thing Jake has ever done. It's probably the most memorable. It's the thing that gets talked about the most. Uh, he ends up in a, at the wedding for Savage and Liz. They get a present, and they open the present, and it's a cobra in the box, and it scares the crap out of everyone. And then that leads to an in-ring showdown where Jake gets Randy Savage tied up in the ropes, and he can't do anything, and then they bring out the cobra, and the cobra latches onto Savage's arm, and uh, he, you know, it, for a very uncomfortably long time, uh, and 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 it's great, and Savage is bleeding, so you can tell this is a real snake. It's a real snake bite. There's nothing we can do about it. It is a great angle. They followed up on that with Tuesday in Texas, where I believe Jake gets disqualified and lays out Randy and then faces off with Liz and slaps the taste out of her mouth. And it is crazy. It is re it is the one of the most real things I've ever seen. Uh, it, it gets you emotional watching it even now. Like, it's upsetting uh, and wonderfully done. And then they ended up having a blow-off match after that. Um, and... Uh, Savage hits an elbow, beats Jake. Then after the bell hits another elbow drop. So when Jake, they, they cut to Jake in the back, he's pissed off. He's mad. He's holding a chair and he's, he's screaming, I'm going to hit the next person that walks through. I don't care if it's Elizabeth, if it's Savage, whoever walks through that curtain is getting clobbered and Undertaker grabs the chair, stops him. And that leads to their match at WrestleMania eight which was Jake's final match of his first run in WWE. So there's our first option. We can make him the world champion somewhere in there between 86 and 92. Or we can look at his second run. Um, he came back in 1996, and he was a little overweight, came back with the born-again Jake gimmick you know preaching his bible and acting like i'm clean now because i found jesus and everything's good um and there wasn't much to speak about here except for that he was in the finals of the 1996 king of the ring against stone cold steve austin which gave us the austin 316 promo so you could argue <laughs> that without jake we might not get Austin. We don't get. We definitely don't get that Austin 316 T-shirt. We don't get all that. We don't get the greatest selling T-shirt in the history of the wrestling business. Um, but other than that, it became very clear that his demons were winning the battle in 96, 97. And he didn't last very long, and he was gone again. Um, but it would have been an interesting redemption story to run that gimmick all the way to the world championship. So we've got a lot of options here. Uh, any thoughts on Jake's career before we get into our storytelling? Jake Roberts is the ultimate example of if you're in the business and you say the following and you know, the person you're telling it to doesn't get it. It just means you understand the business a little more thoroughly than they do. And that statement is Jake Roberts is one of those guys that never ever needed the title. Yeah, uh, his character right. was so strong, and he can lose every match he's ever been in and still remain the same physical and mental threat to anybody he goes after next. He is one of those privileged performers that works so hard at, at the character that 
wins and losses literally do not matter to him, and that is a league of their own. And the only reason we're having this conversation is because we're fans of the character, and we'd like to book our own version of him winning the championship just as fans. But I am definitely mature enough and understand the business, I think, enough to understand that concept that Jake the Snake Roberts did not ever need the championship. No, no, he certainly didn't. He's kind of like Undertaker in that where, I mean, they're in Ted DiBiase, frankly, like those guys that are such big characters, they're so large in life. You know, Andre the Giant didn't need the belt. Uh, you know, Kane really didn't need the belt, which is why he never really had a long run. There's a lot of guys that just didn't need the belt because they were an attraction. They sold tickets. They talked people into the seats and they were as big a star as they were ever going to be. And the belt really was going to be a prop for them. Like, they didn't need that belt to be significant. They didn't need the belt to get over. They were just fucking over. So, absolutely, Correct. he didn't need it. But I think there are a couple times where it could have helped the business. Oh, you totally. Know? <laughs> like, totally. And that's where, yeah, that's where I picked up. Do you want to go first or do you want to let me go first? Oh, man. I think I went first last time. So, maybe we should, uh, maybe we should do a little switcheroo here. All righty. Happy to do it. So my story begins at Survivor Series 1990. Um, this was the year that they did a Soul Survivors match. So this is where they had uh, Hogan and Warrior and Tito Santana taking on five of the the heels. And, uh, of course, Hogan and Warrior were the Soul Survivors. This was all kind of setting up, you know, their match at, at uh, WrestleMania. Um or was that after their match? I don't know. I'm go. I know that uh, WrestleMania Seven happened in '91, so that's where I'm going. Anyway, well, it's your uh, show. Yeah, so I'm <laughs> gonna change that. I'm gonna change the Survivor Series. We're gonna have Jake Hogan and Warrior be the sole survivors, and they're gonna be taking on Ted DiBiase, The Undertaker, Sergeant Slaughter, Greg the Hammer Valentine, and Honky Tonkman. So this is gonna be a huge main event it's a little better than paul roma <laughs> just by a little so so it's going to come down to sarge as the sole serv on his team with uh warrior and jake hogan's gonna you know fight off or get countered out something's gonna happen where hogan's not involved in the finish of this match which i know wouldn't happen because hogan must pose but we're just trying we're gonna go for this and say we're trying to get someone over to face Hogan. Uh, so it comes down to Jake and Warrior and Sarge. Warrior accidentally uh, ends up hitting Jake with a clothesline at some point, which causes Jake to get eliminated. So Jake, being Jake, is going to grab a chair and lay out the Warrior so that Sarge can get the win and be the sole survivor. So now we have, you know, Sarge, you know, traitor Sarge over here. He's, he's there. He wins. He's the celebrator of the night. Um, and that's going to take us to uh, uh, Royal Rumble. Instead of, we're still going to have Warrior versus Sergeant Royal Rumble, but Jake is going to be the one that interferes instead of the Macho Man uh, interfering with Warrior. So Jake is going to cost Warrior the title, not Sergeant Slaughter. Or, sorry, not Savage. So that's we're still going to have Sergeant Hogan at WrestleMania 7. 
However, for the next few weeks, Warrior keeps trying to get his hands on Jake, but the under... Or no, sorry. I got to go back, delete that. Blah, 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 blah. So Sarge wins the belt. Jake and Warrior face off in the snake pit. Or, you know, Jesus Christ. Warrior interferes in the snake pit feud because he's trying to get his hands on Jake. He comes out. And he's yelling at Jake. The refs are trying, everyone, you know, the officials are trying to keep them separated. This is where the Undertaker attacks. The Undertaker comes out, attacks Warrior. Jake and, and Undertaker put the Warrior down. And uh, so that leads to a match. Saturday night's main event. We're going to have a, uh, a tournament to determine the number one contender for Sergeant Slaughter at WrestleMania. In the semifinals, we have Warrior versus Savage. Taker comes down. The Warrior and the ref get distracted. From behind, Jake attacks Randy Savage, costing him the match. Everyone is stunned. People are going, what the fuck is going on? They helped Warrior win. He is going to the finals now. Why would they do this? So we get to the rematch of WrestleMania 6. It's Hogan versus the Ultimate Warrior, main event of Saturday night's main event. The match starts in almost immediately before these two even really get going. Undertaker and Jake come out again. Warrior jumps from the ring to confront them. This causes Warrior to get counted out. And so Warrior goes off, starts fighting Taker and Jake. They're getting the best of him. From the crowd, Sarge comes into the ring, hits Hogan with the belt, leaves him bloody in the middle of the ring. He's putting the boots to him. Randy Savage comes to the rescue, saves the ultimate Warrior first, and then once uh, Jake and, and, and Taker give up, Warrior and Savage jump in the ring, chase Sergeant Slaughter away. And for the first time, we have... Hogan, Warrior, Savage, all in the ring, and they hug, and they pose, and they celebrate together. So now, like, all the mega powers, all three of the biggest, just most gigantic babyface stars of this era of professional wrestling are celebrating in the ring together. Um, and that is going to lead to uh, a really interesting... Uh, feud between the six guys. So we're going to start with WrestleMania 7. We've got Savage versus The Undertaker, which is great. We got Warrior versus Jake. We still got Hogan versus Sarge. Taker beats Savage, so we're not ending the streak <laughs> before it even starts at his first WrestleMania. But now he has a big-time opponent, and we've already thrust Taker into kind of the main event spot with the top guys. Um, Warrior versus Jake is going to be a snake pit match, which means no disqualification and all that kind of fun stuff. And what's going to happen here is we have Jake beating the Ultimate Warrior with lots of help from a tombstone from The Undertaker. But Jake is going to get the win at WrestleMania 7 over the Ultimate Warrior. Um, and we're going to pretend Warrior is going to do business for all of this and just go along with it. Because he's not actually losing to anyone. He's getting fucked over. So we're just going to pretend it's going along. 
and letting him know this buildup is to something bigger than that, even though it's so, not. <laughs> so this is definitely a fantasy. Yeah. So after the match, um, Jake debuts the Cobra. And uh, this is where Savage intervenes. And he he cut, he cut saves Warrior, um, but ends up getting caught up by the Undertaker and laid out. And this is where we get the return of Miss Elizabeth because this is, you know, it's WrestleMania 7. It happened then anyway. Um, so I don't want to rewrite history too much. There's a lot of stuff there I want to keep. Um, but at this point, when Liz intervenes, uh, we get sensational Sherry to return. And uh, she pulls Liz out of the way. And this at WrestleMania is where they tie Savage up and they put the snake on him. At WrestleMania for the largest pay-per-view of all time. and Because I'm feeling like we could have saved this show a little bit if we had this. Uh, we wouldn't have had to move it to the smaller arena in L.A. Uh, but we'll see. Um, even with the war going on. Yeah, even with the war going on, sure. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, that, okay, so then at SummerSlam, we're going to have Savage and Jake. Um, and, and once again, we're going to get a little Cobra action. We're going to get Liz involved. Um, and, but this time when Liz comes in, the ref's, the ref's bumped. He's down. So this, all this is happening. Sherry's going to come in. Savage gets up to save Liz. And as he takes her and gets her out of the ring, Sherry is going to hit the low bow on Savage. DDT, ref comes to one, two, three, pin in the middle of the ring. Jake has now beat the ultimate warrior. He's now beat Macho Man Randy Savage. There's only one guy left. So we're going to keep building this feud. Um, at Survivor Series, the main event is going to be Hulk Hogan, the ultimate warrior. Macho Man Randy Savage and Hot Rod Rowdy Roddy Piper all on one team, ladies and gentlemen. Certainly Taking good company. Jake. Right. This is the big boys that of the last five, six, seven, eight years getting ready to to make the next crew of guys. They're taking on Jake, the Undertaker, Ric Flair, the real world's champion, and Ted DiBiase. This is a motherfucking main event, ladies and gentlemen, for a Survivor Series right here. So during this match, Taker and Warrior are going to get a double count out. They're going to fight off. I know, lazy booking, whatever. But they're going to fight off, uh, and that's the first eliminations. Flair beats Piper. Um, then Hogan gets his hands on Flair, hits the big boot, and uh, upon taking that bump, Flair rolls out of the ring and grabs his belt and walks off to the back taking the intentional count out so that Hogan didn't beat him, but maybe he had him beat. Uh, and then let's see. That takes us to, uh, yeah, DiBiase is going to take an elbow drop. He's out. That leaves us with Hogan and Savage finally about to get their hands on Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, at this point, the Undertaker and Paul Bearer make their return. Um savage is the legal man hogan leaves the ring to cut off the undertaker and they're fighting in the aisle 
uh, and the ref is distracted once again. Sherry once again slides in there, hits the low blow. And we've got DDT, one, two, three. Jake has now beat Savage. And then Hogan being distracted ends up caught up. Um, the ref's still trying to get The Undertaker out of there. Hogan gets back in the ring from behind Paul Bearer with the urn. Hits Hogan in the back of the head, leading to the DDT. One, two, three, middle of the ring. Jake Roberts has now beat the ultimate warrior, Randy Savage, and Hulk Hogan in the middle of the ring, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that's going to lead us to the Royal Rumble where we're going to get the match we all deserved, we all wanted. It finally will be champion versus champion. Who's the real world's champion? Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan? Main event of the Royal Rumble. And Jake the Snake Roberts is going to win the Royal Rumble. Leading, setting up for the main event of WrestleMania 8. Hulk Hogan versus Jake the Snake Roberts. And this will feature the debut of Papa Shango. This will have The Undertaker involved. This will have uh, Savage and a returning warrior involved. But at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in WrestleMania history, we have DDT, middle of the ring, one, two, three, and a new world champion. The first ever heel ending to WrestleMania. We've got Jake Roberts, Papa Shango, The Undertaker, Paul Bearer, Scary Sherry, all in the ring celebrating the new world champion. And we have a new faction that is born with Jake the Snake Roberts as its leader who's going to do all the speaking for Papa Shango and The Undertaker, which is going to help them get way more over, by the way, a motherfuckers. And so... It's like a dungeon uh, of doom that I would watch. Right. That's basically what we're getting. We're building up to Jake Roberts, the world champion, leaving WrestleMania 8 with The Undertaker and Papa Shango. I personally think that if this was the ending of WrestleMania 8, the business is on fire Again, we're not losing steam. Uh, people aren't losing interest. And now, for the first time ever, we have Hogan outnumbered by a guy who's smarter than him, who's got The Undertaker and Papa Shango at his side. He's got, you know, voodoo. He's got a zombie. And he's the world heavyweight champion. And Hogan, Warrior, and Savage are lining up to take them, take that just formidable foe on. I think we've got a huge deal coming out of WrestleMania eight. And uh, I don't think the company would have been in such a tough spot at that point. No. And you would have a situation where Hogan is chasing again. And uh, you know, this was the time period where Hogan started to get stale. So this would have been a, this would have been a hell of a fresh take for Hogan. And maybe he wouldn't have gotten stale that year. I love it. Uh, you're not going to get any argument out of me when it comes to like putting the evil guys on top and like the gimmicky hollow, right. the gimmicky Halloween stuff, especially for that time period. That is my jam. That is my bread and butter. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're both big heat marks. And I think 
that was the time to do it when the company was starting to get a little stale. Hogan was starting to get a little bit of meh reaction from the crowd. Because if, 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 if we all remember, in, in actuality, in real life, what happened was um, Hogan got eliminated and then he pulled Sid by Sid and then he pulled Sid out and the crowd booed the shit out of Hogan. <laughs> and, to which even recently we've been talking, people have been talking about them changing the tracks on the videotapes. And, and, and even when they replayed it, they had the, the, you know, piped in sound of the crowd cheering for Hogan. So yeah, Hogan turning heel in night. Yeah. Hogan turning heel in 96. Everyone was like over the moon about it, but like, you know, he's been wrestling like a heel his entire career. <laughs> right. <laughs> he just, right. he just and happens see, that, to be telling you to eat your too. vitamins. <laughs> yeah. You know, for me, I think one of the ultimate, um, ends to that storyline with jake and hogan is hogan turning heel and joining the the group i think that would have been amazing and then that could have been given rise to you know savage and warrior and and you know bret hart coming up next whoever the next baby faces were um that would have been a really interesting time um had that happened yeah and like great promo ideas too is like the only thing a snake needs on his team is two 24 inch pythons <laughs> absolutely <laughs> absolutely well i love it because you know you did exactly what i thought you were gonna do you were gonna you were gonna go back in time and make him the top guy with hogan which is you know what almost happened and you and you hit the nail on the head you said we got a, we got a couple of choices here we got like late 80s early 90s and we also got the 96 run so the year is 2014 ladies and gentlemen <laughs> Or the third option, yes. And the resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts is currently being filmed. And we go live from the DDP Yoga Studio House, and we get a phone call from WWE. And they're reaching Jake the Snake Roberts. And they, on the road to Money in the Bank, have announced that they are going to have a Master of Ceremonies because Money in the Bank falls right on Red Ribbon Week. Yes. So they invite Jake the Snake Roberts to be the master of ceremonies to present the ribbon, and they're going to hang the briefcase via a red ribbon. Say no to drugs. Say yes to violence. So during Money in the Bank, Jake and DDP are at ringside for the match. Seth Rollins is doing everything in his power to cheat. J&J security begin to taunt the two invitees. Finally, Jake lays out both Jamie Noble and Joey Mercury from his seat. Seth Rollins sees this, super kicks Jake and lays him out, and heads for the briefcase. Seth, Noble, and Mercury all set up individual ladders and begin climbing together. DDP, in a fit of rage, leaps into the ring and heads to the other side to get revenge. After a flurry and a struggle, the three get the best of the yoga instructor and send him crashing through a table as Jake comes to and slithers into the ring to check on his friend. Seth Rollins retrieves the briefcase to a massive roar from the crowd. As Seth holds the prize over his head, Noble and Mercury, in celebration, pats Seth on the back a little too hard and drops the briefcase out of his hands into the clutches of Jake the Snake Roberts. And the bell rings with everyone staring at each other in a confused panic. Only for everything to tie together and make sense when the ring announcer reluctantly announces, and the new Mr. Money in the Bank is Jake the snake roberts <laughs> holy shit what just happened cole i i agree what what the fuck is happening <laughs> i will say this i will say this one thing 
before you go, uh, before you go on, you picked the one time period in life where Jake winning the belt actually would have been meaningful for him as a person, right? Like as a character, it would not have meant that much. Jake didn't need the belt before, but if this is part of the redemption of Jake the Snake Roberts, it's probably the most meaningful a title run could have been for him. So you could continue. SummerSlam. Jay and Jay Security are in a tag team match against Diamond Dallas Page and Jake the Snake Roberts for possession of the briefcase. And we go home with an attraction of all attractions, Diamond Cutter, DDT, at the same time, big celebration, briefcase stays in the clutches of Jake the Snake Roberts. And now Survivor Series is looming, ladies and gentlemen. And if you recall, it was the Authority versus Cena and a group of fired employees. And uh, he had to quickly replace those fired employees. So instead of replacing them with the, with the team that he got, Cena reaches into his bag of tricks and gets the entire household of DDPY. So we got John Cena with Jake the Snake Roberts, Diamond Dallas Page, Scott Hall, and Stevie Richards. Boy, a wild card of a team, ladies and gentlemen. And as you could probably surmise, Cena is the sole survivor and has to fight off the authority by himself. And, you know, this is the Sting return. So I'm leaving the Sting return in there so that way the authority and Sting can kind of go off on their own devices. So, the authority addresses the Sting return on Raw, only for Jake to come out and say, you should, you should be less worried about the sting of a scorpion and more worried about the bite of a snake because I got this money in the bank briefcase and I could use it anytime I want. I wish uh, Dino was here for the Jake the Snake impression because he was fantastic. I know, he's so good at it. Yeah, he, 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 know, he really knows how to put his voice in that, you know, that, that gargling asphalt effect. Yeah, the, the, gar- yeah, the down here thing where he's uh, yeah. you know, got that gargle and shit. Tw- 20 years of whores and drugs. Oh. <laughs> so... The entire, the entire authority beats the crap out of Jake the Snake Roberts and puts him on the shelf. As they're carting Jake out, Triple H tells the crew and DDP, You're welcome. We just gave you the perfect ending to your documentary. Before the ambulance door is shut, Rollins slips the briefcase off the gurney into his possession and grins ear to ear as we cut to commercial. During the Royal Rumble, a cocky Seth Rollins has the Money in the Bank briefcase, but is also in the Royal Rumble. And while he's on a tear in the Rumble, you know, I'll, I'll call this the Diesel spot, the Punk spot, you know, just the, the Austin spot, the part in the, the part during the Rumble where one guy is in there just shit-canning uh, a segment of people. The lights go out, and a video pops up on the screen. It's the trailer for the film, The Resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts. And when it ends, we cut back to Seth, who is laughing hysterically, only to find out that it was a well-placed distraction for Randy Orton to capitalize and eliminate Seth from the Rumble. So now, the stage is set. We're at WrestleMania 31. The undercard is Randy versus Seth. We have the, we have the, uh, the highlight reel finish of uh, Seth Rollins taking that uh, curb stomp RKO uh, finisher. We have Brock... Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have Brock versus Roman in the main event. We have me and your cousin's sweet ass on the top floor watching this live. Oh, it was a great day. We have Sting in the fucking most disappointing thing ever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we get to the main event, Cole. 
and nothing needs changing. Both Brock and Roman are down. Seth's music hits. The iconic shot of Seth running into the ring. He slides in. He hands the briefcase to the referee. The crowd is going insane. As he places the briefcase in the referee's hands, a King Cobra pops out and bites Seth on the face. Seth goes <laughs> down and starts twitching and foaming at the mouth. I think he's dying. <laughs> Oh, this is why you let me go first. <laughs> oh, because anything I said after this was going to be less than. So, thank you. Jake the Snake Roberts emerges from the crowd with a sack around his shoulder. He reaches into the sack and pulls out the real money in the bank briefcase. <laughs> and cashes it in. Brock stumbles up and eats a short arm clothesline. Jake calls for the DDT. Roman hits Jake with a Superman punch and calls for the spear. Jake counters the spear with a DDT in midair and gets the count. And for the first time ever, Jake the Snake wins the heavyweight championship. And we go off the air at WrestleMania 31 with a roaring crowd as Jake the Snake Roberts places the title in the sack throws it over his shoulder, and walks off into the sunset. Oh, that is not at all where I thought we were going to be talking about today. Uh, I honestly wouldn't hate this at all. Like, this, (laughs) it's so ridiculous. But at that point, we're talking about a 50-something-year-old Jake, you know? Um. And so any return to actual kind of in-ring action was definitely going to be limited. So I like that you picked your spots here. Um, I, I, Like I said, I really think this is the only time Jake winning the belt would have been super meaningful that he won the belt. Not just that he was there, he was a top guy. Because, like, you know, Jake beating Hogan at WrestleMania 8 would have been huge. It would have been, it would have been great. Um but like we said, Jake didn't need the belt. Even at that point, he was such an attraction that he didn't need the belt. So him capping off the redemption of Jake the Snake Roberts with winning the title at WrestleMania is just such a cool ending to this documentary about a man who struggled so much of his life with drugs and alcohol. Like, it's such a cool moment that I think everyone would forgive kind of the silliness of it. Um until the after party at WrestleMania, of course, where he just <laughs> where he just does a full uh, snake sack of blow off the title and dies. Oh, god damn it! <laughs> no, you know what? My happy ending would be is that he goes to the premiere of the Resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts with the title in hand, with a tear coming out his eye as the credits roll. Absolutely, yeah. That, I mean, it, it would be such a cool moment that I like. Even the preposterosity of this whole story and the the Cobra bouncing out, you know, flying up out of the briefcase is just... Oh, that's right. I killed a guy in my story. Yeah, that's like the garnish right there on this just wonderful thing. (laughs) Seth's got to be like... Seth died! ...taken to a medical facility. No, he's dead. (laughs) I never made it. (laughs) Ron killed a guy. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that escalated quickly. Oh, so, uh, you know, honestly, like, 
I want to be mad at you sometimes, but this is so delightful. Like, I can't even <laughs> argue against it. It's so great. <laughs> oh, well, I, I can't help but transition into what we're doing next week because there will be a lot of arguing what, uh, by what we're ta- because of what we're talking about the next three weeks, actually. Because next week, Cole, you and I are going to do a top ten that I'm surprised we've never done before. Uh, we're going to be discussing tag teams, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be talking the top ten tag teams of all time. I got a list. Cole's got a list. We're going to check it more than twice and come up with the solidified creative team top 10 tag teams list. And then, Cole, I alluded to it. We got three weeks planned. The next two weeks after that top 10 is going to be, is going to be us reaching way back in time to a show that our creative team fans have never heard us do. But we have it in the can, and it deserves a redo. But we are going to be doing the 32 tag team bracket. That's right. It's a tag team themed month, ladies and gentlemen, and we're going to be revisiting a bracket that we did on another podcast a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. But I think this uh, subject is worth revisiting. We're going to talk about 32 of the greatest tag teams of all time and solidify the greatest tag team of all time, according to the creative team. And as you know, no integrity whatsoever in the bracket. Don't forget the Darso. Cole, I'm excited. What say you? Yes, don't don't expect that the the winner of our official top 10 is going to win the bracket at all, ladies and gentlemen. I I feel the Beverly Brothers coming on as the greatest tech team in history. Oh, just wait till we discuss Deuce and Domino. Oh, Deuce and Domino. I'm not sure they're going to make it to the top 32, but we will find out. So, uh, you know, thanks for joining us this week. Hope you, hopefully you all enjoyed our version of Jake the Snake Robert winning the title. For Ron Kilborn, I am your host, Cole Dawson, saying thank you, we love you, and good night. Thanks for listening. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at Creative Team Pod or just the Creative Team on Facebook. Follow Cole Dawson on Twitter and Instagram at Cole2130. And follow yours truly at Ron underscore Kilborn. We'll see you next week on another episode of The Creative Team.